Welcome to the teaching ministry of Calvary Port St. Lucie. Let's join lead pastor Mike Wiggins with the message, Fallen Empire. Well, please turn to Revelation chapter 18, and the title of the message today is Fallen Empire. So Revelation 18, Fallen Empire. If you're new to Calvary, this is what we do. We study the Bible, okay? And so I encourage you to bring your Bible with you and follow along verse by verse. Now, we're gonna go through Revelation 18 today, um, and then we're also gonna make a quick pit stop in 2 Corinthians chapter six. And so 2 Corinthians chapter six, um, you may wanna mark that with your Get Connected card or something. 2 Corinthians six, but main text today, Revelation 18. Now, as you're turning to those two passages, I want to encourage you, all the moms and dads of what Rachel just said, that um, the best way that we can obey the Lord's command for our kids, infants through fifth graders, when Jesus said, let the children come to me and forbid them not, the best way we can obey that command is not to bring them in here to the worship center, but to let them go over there. And here's why, because a lot of the stuff that we're sharing from the word of God here is just not on their level. And so over there, man, Jesus put on their level, the word of God put on their level, principles of truth put on their level along with all their friends. And so I wanna encourage you uh, to do that every week. And by the way, moms and dads, if you have kids over there, and when you pick them up today, uh, make sure you thank uh, the volunteer who served your family by watching your child. Amen? Amen? All right, let's go to the Lord. So Father, we thank you for the second half of the service. We thank you for your word. And I thank you, Lord, just for your blessings on this church. And so Father, I pray that uh, your spirit would have free reign in this room today and that your spirit would illuminate your word so that we can understand it. And so have your way, because it's your church, and we pray these things in Jesus' name, and all God's people said? Amen. All right, well, in Revelation chapter 17 and 18, the Lord reveals to us how he is gonna destroy something that he absolutely hates, and that is Babylon the Great. Now, the Babylonian Empire was one of those powerful, famous global empires of the ancient world, and the capital city of the Babylonian Empire, Babylon, the ruins of that city can be found about 55 miles south of current-day Baghdad, Iraq. The city, the literal city of Babylon, no longer exists. That's the literal city. When we come across the phrase Babylon the Great in chapters 17 and 18, it's not referring to the literal city of Babylon, but rather that phrase Babylon the Great is a metaphor for another city, which is gonna be the capital of two powerful end time entities. And so chapter 17 and 18, they're filled with symbolic language, but don't forget that hermeneutical principle that behind every metaphor, behind every figure of speech, there is a literal truth or entity. And so what are the literal entities behind the phrase Babylon the Great? 
If you're taking notes, chapter 17, which we went through last week, is all about religious Babylon. That is the end times religious system, the global religion that is gonna be alive and well at least during the first half of the coming tribulation period. Today, we're shifting gears. We're going into chapter 18, and Babylon the Great, that metaphorical phrase, is simply referring to political and economic Babylon, which refers to the last day's government and system of commerce. Now, both of those entities, religious Babylon and political economic Babylon, can trace their roots all the way back to the Tower of Babel, because it was at the Tower of Babel where humanism, the spirit of humanism, reared its ugly head. If you remember in Genesis chapter 11, verse four, the desire was globalism. That'll be the desire at the end of the age. The desire was ecumen um, an ecumenical attitude. And so they all wanted to come together, and Genesis 11:4 says that they said to each other, Come, let us build for ourselves a city and a tower with its top up in the heavens, and let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. They said, let us make a name for ourselves. That phrase, ladies and gentlemen, reeks of the spirit of humanism. The spirit of humanism started at the Tower of Babel and it infiltrated all civilizations within this fallen world that we live in today. That spirit of humanism has infiltrated all civilizations religiously and so the result are all these false religious systems that are based on works as a way to earn spirituality or earn our way into heaven. The spirit of humanism has infiltrated all civilizations politically and economically, producing self-serving governmental and commerce leaders that are all about selfishness and greed and living in luxury. And so what you need to know from chapter 17 and 18, that during the tribulation period, these two entities, religious Babylon and political economic Babylon are going to merge. They're going to come together. The global religion is gonna to come together temporarily with the global government, and those two entities are gonna produce Babylon the Great. Now what you need to know that in chapter 17, God hates religious Babylon. And what you need to know in chapter 18 today is that he also hates political economic Babylon and he's gonna destroy both of them. So when is he gonna destroy them? If you're taking notes, religious Babylon is gonna be destroyed around the midpoint of the tribulation period while political economic Babylon is gonna be destroyed at the end of the tribulation period. Now, religious Babylon, okay, that false global religious system will be destroyed around the midpoint of the tribulation period. You say, why do you say that? Well, by way of review, let's look back at chapter 17, verse 16. Okay, so in chapter 17, verse 16, it says, and the 10 horns, remember that's a metaphor 
for the 10 nations that are gonna come together at the end of the age. And the 10 horns that you saw, they and the beast, that's a metaphor for the coming antichrist or global dictator, look at this, are gonna hate the who? Prostitute, the prostitute is a metaphor, the great prostitute, in the context of chapter 17, is a metaphor for that last day's religious system. And so the Antichrist and his government are gonna hate this religious system. They will make her desolate and naked and devour her flesh and burn her up with fire. And so the Antichrist ruling over a 10 nation confederation during the tribulation period is the Antichrist is gonna get tired of the prostitute on his back. In other words, if you remember from chapter 17, that the woman rides the beast. In other words, the end times government, global government, is supporting the end times global religious system, but at some point, the Antichrist and the 10 nations are gonna get sick of the prostitute on their back, and they're gonna throw her down. They're gonna make her desolate. They're gonna make her naked. They're gonna burn her flesh with fire. We believe, most likely, that will happen around the midpoint of the tribulation. And the reason we say that is because at the midpoint of the tribulation, if you remember from Revelation 13 and other passages, that's when the Antichrist decides everybody in the world has to worship me. Okay, and so make little images of me all around the world. Take my mark, worship my image, bow down before me. No more other religious systems, okay? And so burn, kill all those religious leaders and all their places of worship. Everybody's got to worship me. That happens at the midpoint of the tribulation period and God says, okay, Joker, you got 42 months left and you're dead. And so he destroys the end times false religious system, we believe, around the midpoint of the tribulation. That's the destruction of religious Babylon. Concerning the destruction of political economic Babylon, now look at chapter 18, verses nine through 10. 18, verses nine through 10. And the kings of the earth, governmental leaders, no doubt including the 10, but also more kings, who committed sexual immorality and lived in luxury with her, will weep and wail over her when they see the smoke of her burning. And so this is a completely different picture. This isn't the 10 kings destroying a religious system, chapter 17. No, this is the 10 kings and more kings that are weeping and wailing over the fall of, listen to this, political and economic Babylon the Great. And verse 10 says, they will stand afar off in fear and tor of her torment, and they're gonna say, alas, alas, you great city, you mighty city of Babylon, for in a, in a single hour, your judgment has come. And so when political and economic Babylon is destroyed, listen to this, the kings of the earth, verse nine, the merchants of the earth, verse 11, the shipmasters of the earth, verse 17, governmental and commerce leaders, they're gonna weep and they're gonna wail as God's judgment comes upon Babylon the Great in a single hour. Now, think about this. What in the world 
can be so powerful that it brings down an entire global government and an entire global economy in a single hour. Well, we're gonna find out as we continue to go through the chapter today. And so now, look at verse one of chapter 18. Heavy teaching on the first half, but the second half, not so much. Starting in verse one. After this, I saw another angel coming down from heaven, having great authority, and the earth was made bright with his glory. And he called out with a mighty voice, fallen, fallen is Babylon the Great. On the count of three, I want everybody to say that phrase, fallen, fallen is Babylon the Great. You ready? One, two, three, go. Fallen, fallen she has become a dwelling place for demons and a haunt or a watchtower for every unclean spirit. Not just that in the spiritual realm, but in the physical realm, she has become a haunt or watchtower for every unclean bird and a haunt for every unclean and detestable beast. Fallen, fallen is Babylon the Great. Now, you need to know that Babylon the Great is referred to as a great city five times in this chapter. In verse 10, verse 16, verse 18, verse 19, and verse 21, it refers to the metaphorical phrase, Babylon the Great, as that great city. And so I personally believe that this will be a literal city in the future, not ancient Babylon, I don't believe, with some of the guys who say that ancient Babylon's gonna be rebuilt, not ancient Babylon that's been destroyed. No, a literal city which will be the capital of the Antichrist government. Not just the capital of the Antichrist global government, but this city will also be the capital of the religious system of the last days. Look at chapter 17, verse 18. Let me show you why I say that. Chapter 17, verse 18. And the woman, okay, you guys remember who the woman is in the context of chapter 17? It's the end days religious system. The end days false religious system. And the woman that you saw is the, what's the next two words? Wow, is the great city that has, has dominion over the kings of the earth. Ladies and gentlemen, when this was written in AD 95 by the Apostle Paul, what city had dominion over the kings of the earth? Rome, Rome. And so it looks like Rome is Babylon the Great. It looks like Rome is the capital city of the future Antichrist and the future global religion. Paige Patterson, a great Bible commentator, says this, quote, clearly this is the city of Rome, the city that ruled over all the world in John's day. And so Rome is uh, it, it looks like it is gonna be the capital city of that global religious system. Now, if you're with me here, say amen. Okay, listen to this. 
Rome will be the capital city of the end days religious system, which I believe goes beyond one denomination and includes an ecumenical merger of all religions that deny that Jesus Christ is the one and only way to God. Does that make sense? This is why we're opposed to the ecumenical movement today. This is why we don't join up with other churches that, are, that teach their people that you've got to do a system of works in order to earn your way to God. No. No, absolutely not. Hey, the last day's religious system will go beyond one denomination and it will be an ecumenical merger of all religions that deny the truth of what Jesus said. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life Nobody comes to the Father but through me. These are religious people who deny that salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. These are people that their religious system is based on works where they're trying to earn spirituality or earn their way to God. That is a false religious system. And it's any religious system that denies the truth of the word that Christ is the only way. Now, for some people, that's like sandpaper that rubs you so wrong. You're so angry to hear a religious leader talk about how there's only one way to God, Jesus Christ. Oh man, how disrespectful to all the other religions of the world. Ladies and gentlemen, can I just be as clear as possible? Do you know how much respect I have for all the religions of the world that deny that Jesus is the literal Son of God and the only way to heaven, you know how much respect I have for them? Zip. Nilch. Nada. Nothing. Nothing. Why would I have respect for institutions that damn the souls of human beings? Now, I have respect for every person, human being, but not for any religious system. You see the difference there? I think that's important too, that we as evangelicals need to remember that. We respect every person, no matter what their sexual orientation, religious background, color of skin, socioeconomic position in life. We respect every single person because every single person is made in the image of God, but that does not mean that we have to respect what they teach in their religious system. And so Rome, apparently, will be the capital of the global religion that will be an ecumenical merger of all religions, false religious systems that deny that Jesus is the only one way to God. It'll also be, apparently, the capital city of the Antichrist, and that makes sense because the last day's government will be a 10-nation confederation making up a revived Roman Empire. Now, I'm gonna go a little deeper here, and I, don't, I really don't want you guys to tune me out, but I, how many of you guys have ever heard me say that the end-time government is gonna be a revived Roman Empire? Let me see, see your hands. Okay, so I want you to know why I teach that. It's not something I just came up with out of the air. There's biblical passages 
And, and the reason I'm gonna spend five minutes on this or so is because there's a current teaching in churches today that the end times global government will be an Ottoman Empire. It's not true. Can I encourage you guys not to get your theology from Google? <laughs> and can I encourage you not to get your eschatology from maybe best-selling authors? Or from the internet? It's, it's a revived Roman Empire. Here's why, because in Daniel chapter two, the prophet Daniel was picked out of all the religious people in Nebuchadnezzar's Babylonian realm to interpret Nebuchadnezzar's dream. How many of you guys have ever read Daniel 2? Let me see your hands so I see how much I gotta go into this. Okay, so in Daniel chapter two, the, the global government was the Babylonian Empire. Their king was Nebuchadnezzar. And Nebuchadnezzar had a dream of a great image and the great image had a head of gold, a chest and arms of silver, a belly and thighs of bronze, and two legs of iron. And he had this dream and it's troubling him, he can't sleep, and so he calls all his false religious uh, cabinet members, and they can't interpret the dream. So he's ready to kill everybody. But there's a guy in the realm, his name is Daniel, the prophet of the one true God of the Bible, Yahweh. And Daniel can interpret the dream, why? He's given the, the ability to by the, the power of God, the gift of prophecy. And he interprets the dream. He says, you, O king, are the head of gold. And so we know that the image in Daniel 2 of the, the great image, Nebuchadnezzar's dream, that the head is gold, and the head was the Babylonian empire. Daniel said it. But now we got a chest and arms of silver, okay? This is not hard. As you study history, what empire de defeated the Babylonian Empire? The Medo-Persian Empire. And so, what is this image, by the way? This image are successive global Gentile governments that persecuted and hated the people of God of Israel. They're global empires, like the end days empire will be a global empire. And so the, the Medes and the Persians defeat Babylon Okay, but now we got a belly and thighs of bronze to deal with. That's not hard. You continue to study in history. What empire defeated the Medes and Persians? The Greeks. Okay, so Greece is the, the belly and the thighs of bronze, but now you've got two legs of iron. As you continue to study history, which empire defeated the Greeks? Rome. Everybody say Rome. Rome, and the two legs are made of iron, which is the symbol of Rome. They're, they're, good night, when the soldiers went out to battle, their armor was iron. And it's two legs, which shows that the Roman Empire would, would be divided into east and west. Isn't it amazing how God's word predicts the future with such amazing accuracy? Okay, now this image also had two feet and 10 toes. Guess what the feet and the 10 toes are made out of? Iron, everybody say iron. iron, mixed with clay. Okay, and so this, the 10 toes, because the Roman Empire in history was never divided into 10 nations, you never see that, the 10 toes of the image wait for a future uh, fulfillment. And so the 10 toes are indicative, symbolic of 10 nations, 10 nations that are gonna come together, they're gonna unite, and they're gonna constitute the global government during the tribulation period. Does that make sense? Iron, 
which means it's a revived Roman Empire mixed with clay. Many commentators believe it's democracy trying to mix with dictatorship, but the dictator, the Antichrist, wins in the end. It's a revived empire. And not only that, but in Daniel chapter 9, verse 26 through 27, it tells us that the same people group that destroyed the Jewish temple in AD 70, okay, what people group destroyed the temple in AD 70? Rome. Everybody say Rome. Okay, so that same people group has a, will have a prince, and that prince is gonna sign a covenant with Israel and her neighbors for seven years. Rome will have a prince who will sign a covenant. Who's gonna sign a covenant with Israel and her neighbors for seven years? The Antichrist. It's a revived Roman Empire, so it makes sense that the capital city is gonna be Rome. All right, so in verse two, it says, fallen, fallen is Babylon the great, metaphoric for the Roman, revived Roman Empire. She has become a dwelling place for demons, a haunt for every unclean spirit, and look, look at this, a haunt for every unclean bird and unclean and detestable beast. And so after this judgment that's gonna take place swiftly, this capital city, yes, even the whole global empire and economy is decimated, and what you have here at the end of verse two are thousands of bodies lying and birds of prey coming down, picking on the flesh, wild beasts coming and eating the flesh. It's an apocalyptic vision given to John about the destruction and what's gonna happen to these people. Now, by the way, that's another reason we have a children's ministry, because if I had an infant through a fifth grader, I wouldn't want them to hear about birds picking on dead corpses. Does that make sense to you guys? Hmm. Verse three. For all nations have drunk the wine of the passion of her sexual immorality, and the, what? Kings of the earth have committed immorality with her, and the who? Merchants of the earth have grown rich from the power of her luxurious living. And so the kings are the political leaders and the merchants are the leaders of commerce and both are gonna get rich off of this end times global economy which is gonna be based on selfishness and greed. Verse four. Then I heard another voice from heaven saying, Come out of her, my people. And I want you guys in the count of three to say that phrase as well. That's so important. Say, come out of her, my people. Ready? One, two, three, go. It'll save you a lot of pain if you'll do that. Come out of her, my people, lest you take part in her sins, lest you share in her plagues, for her sins are heaped as high as heaven, and God has remembered her iniquities. And so this is the tribulation period. And so thank God, after the rapture, Jesus Christ is coming for his bride, the church. He's gonna take us home to heaven. But then during the tribulation period, because of the witness of the 144,000 Jewish evangelists, and because of the witness of the two witnesses in Revelation 11, millions of people, thank God for his grace, are gonna be saved during the last seven years. And so those people are told right here, come out from among her have nothing to do with Babylon the Great. Have nothing to do with religious Babylon, or you're gonna share in her plagues. 
What's gonna happen is if you don't separate yourself from religious Babylon, you're gonna be destroyed with her at the midpoint of the tribulation period when the Antichrist and his government decide they're done with the great prostitute. Come out from among political economic Babylon. Separate yourself, have nothing to do, otherwise you're gonna share in her plagues, you're gonna be there to receive the bowls of God's wrath when they come down on her. Now, we are not in the tribulation period right now. If you heard that statement, say amen. amen. Man, so much wackiness happens when people think we're in the tribulation right now. We're not. We're not in the tribulation right now, but we can still apply this principle of separation to our lives. Ladies and gentlemen, if you're taking notes, here's where the rubber meets the road. As born-again Christians, we must be separate from the world and to Christ. I am so amazed that at the last song we sang today, the cross before me, the world behind me, no turning back, I have decided to follow Jesus. And so I say born-again Christians because here's, here's what I know. Not everyone who says they're a Christian is really a Christian. And so as born-again Christians, we've got to be separate from the world and to Jesus Christ. You say, where do you get that? Hold your place in Revelation 18, go left to 2 Corinthians chapter six. Chapter six, verse 14. Again, we're trying to save you a whole lot of pain in the future. It says, do not be unequally yoked with who? Unbelievers. For what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness? Or what fellowship has light with darkness? What accord has Christ with Belial? Or what portion does a believer share with an unbeliever? What agreement has the temple of God with idols? For we are the temple of the living God. As God said, I will make my dwelling among them and walk among them, and I will be their God and they shall be my people. Therefore, verse 17, Go out from their midst and be, what? Separate from them, says the Lord. If you have the New King James Version, it says come out from among them and be separate. And touch no unclean thing. Then I will welcome you and I will be a father to you and you shall be sons and daughters to me, says the Lord. Please turn back to Revelation 18. Now, God says, to us, this is a New Testament mandate, canon law from the Apostle Paul, Holy Spirit leading him. It's for churches today in this church age. Come out from among them and be separate, says the Lord. Why in the world do born-again Christians refuse to date, get engaged to, or get married to unbelievers. Here's why, because God said, come out from among them and be separate. But can't I just go on a date with the guy? Why would you risk falling in love with him? Listen, I'm trying to save you a whole lot of pain. I've been doing this a long time. I've seen so many marriages where they're unequally yoked. 
And by the way, not everybody who says they're a Christian is a Christian. Don't let them fool you while you're dating them. Jesus said, by their fruits you shall know them, not their words. Come out from among them and be separate. Why in the world do born-again Christians refuse to go into a business partnership with an unbelieving partner? Because God said, come out from among them and be separate, that's why. I mean, why in the world would you risk your biblical worldview and biblical values down the road conflicting with their worldview and values? I'm trying to save you a lot of pain down the road. Especially if they decide to go unethical and start doing things that are illegal and now you're up to your ears in a mess as a born again Christian. No, come out from among them. Why in the world do born again Christians refuse to go to quote unquote churches that advocate a system of works in order to earn our way to heaven? Here's why, because God said, come out from among them and be separate, says the Lord. Oh, but pastor, there's such nice people over there at that church. Don't you know nice people go to hell? If they reject the gospel of grace and, and, and believe in their heart of hearts that salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, period. You see, God, not me, God, through Paul, is saying, come out from among them. Paige Patterson, again, um, says this, the doctrine of separation enjoined on the people of God here is not a condescending separation that creates legalism. That's not what we're preaching. But rather, it's, it's a separation born of love for holiness and a fellowship with God. And so the attitude of coming out from among them and being separate is not born from an, a, a, a holier than thou, I'm better than you attitude, so stay away from me, I don't wanna get dirty, you know, ick, ick. That's not the attitude at all. No, this, this, this separation is born out of a love for holiness. Ladies and gentlemen, do you love holiness? Do you wanna be holy? I know something about all of you all, because I know about me. None of us are perfect. But we all should have a desire for holiness. Why? Because if we're really saved, who, what spirit came to live in us at the moment we put our trust in Christ? The who spirit? Holy Spirit. And if that's really happened to you, then now you have desires to be holy. And you can talk the talk about how much you love Jesus all day long, but by their fruits, you will know them. And so, hey, I'm not saying that you shouldn't have unbelieving friends. How else are we gonna reach the, the world for the gospel? Okay, so the, when it says, come out from among them and, and be separate, it's not talking about casual friendships. It's talking about close friendships. Everybody say close. Close friendships, close partnership, close fellowship is what it's talking about. So look now at verse six. Speaking about Babylon the Great, that capital city in the future, the Antichrist's capital city of his global government and the economic system behind it. Verse six says, pay her back as she herself has paid back others and repay her double for her deeds. 
mix a double portion for her in the cup that she mixed. As she glorified herself and lived in luxury, so give her a like measure of what? Torment and mourning. Don't be fooled, God doesn't blow off sin. Sin must be paid for, either by Jesus Christ on the cross or you. So give her a like measure of torment and mourning, since in her heart she says, I sit as a queen, I am no widow, and mourning I shall never see. For this reason her plagues will come in a single day, death and mourning and famine, and she will be burned up with fire, for mighty is the Lord God who judged her. So the capital city of the Antichrist global government is gonna boast in its heyday, I'm a queen, I'm not a widow, I'll never mourn. Look at my governmental leaders. Look at my leaders of commerce. Look at their lifestyles. It's the lifestyles of the rich and famous. Look at the opulence. Look at the palaces. Look at the gold and the pearls. Look at their wealth. We'll never be in mourning. We sit as a queen. And yet God says in a single day, they will be destroyed. How? How will they be destroyed? Look at chapter 16, verse 17. Chapter 16, verse 17. The seventh angel poured out his bowl into the air. This is the seventh bowl of God's wrath at the end of the tribulation period. And a loud voice came out of the temple from the throne saying, it is done. And there were flashes of lightning and rumblings and peals of thunder and great, a great what? Earthquake. There you go. A great earthquake such as has never been since man was on the earth. So great was that earthquake. And the great city, there it is again, was split into three parts and the cities of the nations fell and God remembered who? There it is, Babylon the Great to make her drain the cup of the wine of the fury of his wrath. And so the mother of all earthquakes, the seventh bowl of God's wrath, are gonna destroy the capital of the global government and not just that capital city, but all the cities of the nation. In a, in a day, the entire global empire and global economy will be decimated. Now, how are people gonna re be reacting to this? Uh, look at verse nine. And the, kingdoms, and the kings of the earth who committed sexual immorality and lived in luxury with her will weep and wail over her when they see the smoke of her burning. They will stand afar off in fear of her torment and say, alas, alas, you great city, you mighty city Babylon, for in a single hour, your judgment has come. And not just the kings of the earth are crying, but the merchants of the earth, verse 11, weep and mourn for her. Why? Since no one buys their cargo anymore. Now, look at the cargo that these, this whole economic system um, is built on, and look at the way these governmental and commerce leaders are, are living. Look at verse 12. The cargo of gold silver, jewels, pearls, fine linen, 
purple cloth, silk, scarlet cloth, all kinds of scented wood, all kinds of articles of ivory, articles of costly wood, bronze, iron, and marble, cinnamon, spice, incense, myrrh, frankincense, wine, oil, fine flour, wheat, beef, lamb, horses, and chariots, Lamborghinis. It's in the original Greek, believe me. And slaves, that is human souls. Did you guys notice that all those things that I just read are luxuries and not necessities? And the leaders of the day are gonna think they're all that because of their stuff. Let me ask you a question, can stuff bring you joy and satisfaction in your heart? And so why in the world do we spend so much money on luxuries? You know, the next time you make a purchase that's really expensive, I wanna challenge you to ask yourself three questions. Number one, ask yourself, is this item a luxury or a necessity? And by the way, this was very convicting for your pastor this week as I was preparing this message. Because don't you know that every time I point a finger at you, I got three pointing at me, right? And so, is this item a luxury or a necessity? Number two, ask yourself, why do I want it? Is it because I think buying and buying and buying is gonna medicate and take away that pain inside? And number three, ask yourself, is it God's will? for me to have this. In other words, instead of impulse buying, instead of using the credit card to buy your luxury, say no, I'm gonna take some time and I'm gonna pray and I'm gonna think and I'm gonna ask myself these three questions in the presence of the Holy Spirit. Wow, can you imagine if we all did that? Now why in the world should we do this? Here's why, because Jesus said, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures where? In heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break and steal. Why? For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And so if we're always investing in treasures on earth, then everybody knows where our heart is. Right here in this 70 to 100 year life which by the way is like a vapor. And so if we're always investing constantly in treasures on the earth, then that's where Jesus said, that's where your heart is in this temporal life. But if we're investing in the treasures of heaven, and by the way, how do you do that? Here's how you do it. The world behind me, the cross before me, I've decided to follow Jesus. And I'm not just talking the talk, I'm gonna walk the walk. And so I'm done with this life, and now I'm gonna follow him, right? And so that means I'm gonna not just go to church, I'm gonna find the church that God wants me to be at, and I'm gonna put my roots down, and I'm gonna connect, serve, grow, and give in that local church, I'm gonna invest in God's work. And as I invest in God's work and what God wants me to do, guess what? He notices it all, and he's laying up treasures up in heaven. These treasures on earth are gonna go up in a, 
in a puff of smoke, but the treasures that we're laying up in heaven will always be there forever and ever and ever. And so the question you gotta ask yourself is where do you wanna invest? In the earth or in heaven? In the temporal or the eternal? Do you wanna be like Lot's wife? As Sodom and Gomorrah is going down in ashes and she loves the world so much she turns around and says, oh, and then she becomes a pillar of salt? Or do you wanna be like Abraham who looked for a city that has eternal foundations whose builder and maker is God? Hey, ladies and gentlemen, um, this world is not our home. We're just passing through. Our treasures are laid up somewhere beyond the blue. And so that's gotta be our focus. Our focus has to be not on this life primarily, but on the next life. We gotta get over our selfishness. We gotta get over our greed. We gotta make a decision to turn from the world and really turn to Christ. Get off the fence. Stop being a casual Christian. Get committed to the Lord. Get joined to a local church and begin to serve God in that context with the people of God. That's the decision before you today. And so we're gonna put that slide back up again before you make that expensive purchase. Is it a, a luxury or necessity? Why do I want it? Is it God's will? Now it's between you and the Lord. And I gotta do this in my own life, between me and the Lord. I'm not saying it's, it's wrong to have nice stuff. But we should ask ourselves these questions before we make that expensive purchase. Now, if you spend time with the Lord and you got this money and the Lord says no, to this luxury, here's what I wanna encourage you to do. Give it, that money to a missionary. Man, it's quiet, isn't it? <laughs> Give that money to an orphanage, like GVCM. Take part in our child sponsorship program, which we're kicking off in November for these orphans in Haiti. Support a Christian school. I heard one's being built. <laughs> Stop focusing on the world. Start focusing on Christ. And so that was the heavy teaching in the first half of the chapter. And the rest of the chapter is very self-explanatory. It's basically these people who are mourning and weeping because all their stuff is gone. And so we're gonna just read and comment all the way through, okay? Verse 14, the fruit of which your soul longed for has gone from you, and all your delicacies and your splendors are lost to you, never to be found again. That's what happens to stuff. Verse 15, the merchants of these wares who gained wealth from her, they're gonna stand far off in fear of her torment, weeping and mourning aloud. Alas, alas, for that great city that was clothed in fine linen and purple and scarlet, adorned with gold, with jewels, and with pearls. For in a single hour, all this wealth, wealth has been laid waste, and all the shipmasters and seafaring men, sailors, and all those trade, all, all of whose trade, you see, you see how the emphasis now is not religion, chapter 17, now it's commerce is on the sea, stood far off and cried out as they saw the smoke of her burning. What city was like that great city? And they threw dust on their heads as they wept and mourned, crying out, 
Alas, alas, for the great city where all who had ships at sea grew rich by her wealth. In a single hour, she's been laid waste. They keep saying the same thing over and over, but everybody's weeping, everybody's wailing on earth, but in heaven, it's a totally different atmosphere. Verse 20, rejoice over her, O heaven, and you saints and apostles and prophets, for God has given judgment for you against her. Weeping on earth, rejoicing in heaven. Why? Why? Here's why. Because we're in chapter 18. Chapter 19, next week, Jesus is coming back, and the kingdom of the world will become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and Jesus will reign forever and ever, and that causes a party up in heaven. Verse 21, then a mighty angel took up a stone like a great millstone, Picture this in your, in your minds. And threw it in the sea. Splash, right? Saying, so will Babylon, the great city, be thrown down with violence and will be found no more. So just like a thousand pound millstone causes a big splash and then sinks out of sight. So when God brings the earthquake and destroys Babylon the great, it'll be a, her fall will be a splash global implications, and Babylon the Great will sink out of sight to be remembered no more. That's what's gonna happen to this world. Verse 22, and the sound of harpists, so the result of the seventh bold judgment is that all the normal things of life are gonna end at the end of the world. And so verse 22, all, and the sound of harpists and musicians of flute players and trumpeters will be heard no more. Hey, all the parties, party's over. And a craftsman of any craft will be found in you no more. And the sound of the mill will be heard no more. And the light of the lamp will shine on you no more. And the voice of the bridegroom and bride will be heard no more. Why? Why all this destruction? For your merchants were the great ones of the earth, and all nations were deceived by your sorcery. In other words, the whole world will be under the spell of the Antichrist and his government, and they'll take his mark, they'll worship his image, and they'll be damned. Verse 24, and in her, Babylon the Great, speaking about political, economic Babylon, was found the blood of the prophets and of the saints, and of all who have been slain on the earth. And so, here's the thought I wanna leave you with before we close in prayer. This chapter so graphically says the world will end. The world is temporary. But next week, Jesus comes back. Not literally on Sunday, but we're in chapter 19 next week. <laughs> And Jesus and his kingdom is eternal. And so here's your last point, you gotta choose. The world or Christ. Now, I know lots of people talk the talk. So I wanna give you three more questions to see, to, to help you be honest if you've really made a commitment to Jesus. If it's really Jesus, and not the world, you need to ask yourself, where do I go <laughs> during the week? 
You know, and standing at the club down in West Palm Beach with your martini as everybody's like almost having sex on the dance floor. Don't fool yourself. You've chosen the world. Come out from among them. Be separate. Where do I go? Do the places that I go to, do they strengthen or weaken my love and commitment for Jesus? It's decision time. Ask yourself, who do I hang out with? I'm not talking about casual friendships, I'm talking about your close friends. Do those people encourage or weaken, strengthen or weaken your love and commitment for Jesus? You say, man, I'm gonna have to and a lot of friendships, it's gonna get really lonely. Jesus said, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. His peace, his presence is so much more precious than those friends that are doing all kind of junk. And then ask yourself, how do I spend my money? Am I really investing in eternity and the things of God? Am I laying up for myself treasures in heaven? Or is it constantly this earth building my kingdom? Or going into debt and building other people's kingdoms? And so hard questions, I'll let you take them home and I'll let you think about your commitment to Jesus Christ. At this time, I'm gonna ask the prayer partners to come on forward. And I'm gonna ask um, everybody to stand for closing prayer. now. Please, please hear this, okay? At this church, we put a big emphasis on the feeding of the flock, right? We put a big, big emphasis on teaching the word of God. I, I try to put 20, minimum 20 hours into every single message. And the reason I do that is because Jesus told Peter, feed my sheep. And I want you guys to be well nourished on the word of God. But Jesus didn't just tell Peter to feed my sheep, he told Peter to tend my sheep as well. And so we take that just as seriously as the feeding. And so we have a whole care department in our church. It's uh, headed up by Pastor Bob Cooper. Um, wave, Bob, so everybody knows who you are. And so we have that, and, and the purpose of this ministry, which is made up of elders and Pastor Bob and prayer partners and intercessory prayer people, is to tend the flock. And so these people are counseling during the week, they're loving on people, they're making hospital visits, they're looking over benevolence applications, they're praying over people, they're anointing people with oil, they're visiting shut-ins, they're, they're doing all of that and more because we wanna tend. And so if you're here today and you need tending, not just feeding, I wanna encourage you as everybody's leaving to come up and receive ministry. Maybe you have a physical sickness and need prayer. Maybe you need to be anointed with oil. Maybe you have a surgery this week and you need someone to come to the hospital and visit you and cheer you up and pray for you. And by the way, here's what I love about that scenario is that when people have surgeries, everybody comes and oftentimes the elder or pastor comes and it's a room filled with believers and non-believers and guess what gets to happen? The gospel gets to be shared. And that's something I love about Pastor Bob is he always shares the gospel with people. And so, be aware, and I didn't even plan on saying any of this, uh, it just came upon me in first service. I want you to be aware of our care ministry and I want you to know that we here at Calvary want to tend 
to your needs as the sheep, the flock. So if you need prayer, as everybody's leaving, come up and receive that ministry today. They would love to pray for you guys. And can you guys just, um, I know they want the glory to go to God, but can you just thank them for their ministry that they do every single week? We appreciate you guys. We do. And so, so Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you so much for the truth of your word. God, help us not to ignore it. Help us to prepare our hearts. We know you're gonna come back for your bride, the church. Help us to be ready. We know you're gonna save us from the wrath to come. Lord, help us to be anticipating the soon coming of Jesus Christ. We look forward when our faith will be turned to sight. But until that day, we ask God, the cross before us, the world behind us, that we'll stand firm in our decision to follow Jesus. And we pray these things in his name. Amen. God bless you guys. One of the greatest gifts God can give his children is the assurance of their salvation. If you're not sure where you stand with God, we want to help. Visit our website at www.calvarypsl.com. Click on I'm New Here, then Knowing Christ.